Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I am Russell Toby. And I'm Robert Diamant. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you, Rob? I am very well. I am actually incredibly exhilarated today because I, the gallery has reopened in Margate. Oh, yeah. Um, just a few days a week, but it means that that we actually get to see people again. And um, yes, we're all social. How many people have you had in? Have you had a lot of people coming in now? Not a huge amount. I think total in about the first three days was about 50 or 60. So it's actually quite a small amount. But I think people are being a bit cautious. And also, weirdly, Margate was particularly quiet last weekend. I don't know why. But there's something Mm. I've been thinking about, though, Russell, which is togetherness. And funnily enough, I've done a lot of tours, just like one-on-one with people coming into the gallery. And it really reminded me of the importance of getting together, you know, with other people. And it's Mm -hmm. also got me thinking a lot about today's guest because... Today's guest's work, in many ways, has captured a community of people. And I feel like there's something so special about art because it can distill a moment in time forever. And also the importance of kind of activism and political activism, but also this idea of the personal being political and how very mundane kind of situations can actually become super extraordinary and send a message across the world, you know, to other countries to make people feel like they belong and that they can be seen and that they exist, you know, and that they have permission to kind of make work themselves, you know, as artists, but also mm-hmm. just to be yourself in the world, whether that mm-hmm. be you like, you know, like all of us today, including our guest, you know, we're all gay men and whether that means that work can sort of, allow you to just feel like you belong so yeah it's it's mm-hmm. big issues but also um sort of very personal touching kind of heartfelt issues which i'm super excited i've, I've loved this artist for so long and i Same. first discovered Snap. his work in 2003 um because he made an amazing book with chris boot this very cool publisher and um i'll mm. get into that a bit later but we would like to welcome to talk art sunil gupta <laughs> Oh, hi. Hello, hi. both of you. Hi. <laughs> Good Welcome. to be here. Hi, Sunil. <laughs> that was quite a deal. How are you? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm very course. well, thank you. Uh, yeah, not too bad, uh, given the strange times we're in. Yeah, you know, totally. keeping Where busy. do we find you in the world? Uh, it's, I'm back in London at the moment. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, uh, back to South London seems to be my natural home. <laughs> I tried leaving and well, then I'm back here. 
Yeah. Oh, you tried leaving. Where did you Where did you go and come back to from? I went back to Delhi, where I was born, for and uh, was away for about seven years. Wow. So did you you went back there to do a, a project, or was this like you were going back there thinking you were going to live there and go back to where you no. were? No, no. I met a guy, um, oh. and uh, so I I thought I'll move there. He couldn't move here, so I moved there. Uh, wasn't probably the brightest thing to do. By the time I moved there, guy had lost interest. By which time, oh. I was too late to just cut, turn around. So I had to stay there and and make it look like I was going to do something serious, <laughs> having arrived there. Oh no! Was that was that yeah. like a broken? I hope it's not too personal a question, but was that like a broken-hearted situation? I was a huge found broken yourself in? It was. Oh, no. It carried on oh, for. Yeah. For about a year, yeah, I was super brokenhearted. But fortunately, I'd been to therapy in London before I'd gone, and it came in handy. One day I woke yeah, up and thought, right. you know, I'm, I'm over this guy. I can move on. <laughs> yeah, but by then I was well-established. I was having too much fun in Delhi by then, so I thought, oh, <laughs> I'll just stay here. Oh, that's good. And did it did it go into work? Did it mean that work was created from this? Because I know you've drawn on um, yes, broken heart before. Yeah. A ten year relationship you had became a ten year show, uh, ten years uh, on. Yeah. And th- this time in Delhi, did this manifest in twenty work? Yes, it became a series called Love and Light. Uh, mm-hmm. So the first picture in it uh, was actually with the same guy, uh, and it began with a different idea that. Uh, we would, uh, you see, I was in visual arts and I traveled a lot for it. You know, exhibitions happen all over the place. Mm-hmm. And he's in film and theater. He's kind of actor, casting director, production guy as well. So uh, he was shooting. It's quite a- nice to be an actor and a casting director because you can give yourself jobs. That's quite a nice, uh, <laughs> quite a nice combination. That I should, I might consider that taking that up. But sorry, carry on. Yeah. yeah. Oh well, his latest thing is about to come out. Uh, this suitable boy on BBC. Mm. So anyway, yeah. So we were. Oh. I followed him when. By the time I got to India, he was uh, on a new production up in the Himalayas in Ladakh, a very desolate place. And it was very complicated to have me. And I didn't read the, I got all these messages saying, it's very complicated to have you up here. And I just ignored them. Uh, and I should have understood between the lines. Anyway, uh, right. I turned up there. It wasn't the smartest thing to do. It was a difficult place. Uh, he basically slept in his office. And then obviously I couldn't sleep in his office. So he, he put me up in a Buddhist monastery next to a river. Uh, it's Geographically, it's the place where India, China, and Pakistan come together. It's mm-hmm. where yeah. Buddhism stops Islam, you know, historically. So there are both Buddhist monasteries and mosques around. So, uh, and he was, uh, when he wasn't making films, he was a guru and did meditation and all of that so uh a buddhist a buddhist guru uh, uh, yeah kind of yeah right. yeah uh okay i'm non denom but sort of meditation and whatnot but uh right uh so i took a picture of the two of us uh naked 
holding each other in this Buddhist monastery. Oh, yes. Uh, oh. And uh, then I took a picture of the landscape and I thought this could be an interesting series. You know, we go to different places and we have some sexy picture of us and we have a picture of the place. And so that was going to be the first one. And it got accidentally published because there's an American magazine called Pause mm -hmm. about HIV positive people, right. for HIV positive people, by HIV positive. And they said they want to do artist pages. Could I send them something? So I sent them this picture, which they published. So it kind of accidentally got published straight away. Wow. Right. However, uh, the second picture is is like when it bro broke down, which so I spent a week with him. It was very complicated. He almost could never come and see me. So I was uh, in this sort of slightly unusual space. You know, I was all by myself in this monastery, but I wasn't a monk and I didn't really know quite what to do. And it was really far yeah, away what, from what did they town. What did they make of you? What were they like to you? Were they welcoming or? They feed you and it's right. a very nice place. It's like uh, you have your own room and uh, you get fed and you're in the middle of this very spectacular landscape. It's like a moonscape. It's above the tree line. So it's a bit like in a desert wow. and there was just this river. And so I would go for long walks and it would get very hot in the middle of the day. And they almost got biblical because uh, I think there's less oxygen up there. So for the first few days, I was affected by that. Uh, mm -hmm. But I'd set off for a long Al walk. Altitude sickness. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And yeah. I didn't realize how hot the sun was going to be. Uh, and into what was kind of a wilderness because there was hardly any passers-by. And uh, meanwhile, I was starting to realize that this guy is not going to come tonight. Every, every day he'd say I'd come, and then he wouldn't come. I got into this whole waiting oh. game for a week. Oh, wow. Oh, and then God. I went back to Delhi, and then I... and. Then he was going to come down, and then he kind of never came. And then the second picture, just me waiting in my little sort of hotel room, kind of like guest house room, uh, was is somebody it, is, who is, never is, came. Is that, the one where, <laughs> is, that, is, that, is that the one where you've got your sort of head in your hands and you're on the side of the yeah. path? And you're yeah. totally nude in a way, yeah. Because it's an amazing yeah. series of photographs, those. Because the first one with, with the two of you, you, you're kind of interconnected and, you know, almost yeah. like a yogi position, but you've got this very kind of happy embrace, you know, contrasted yeah. with the landscape. But th there's this definite sense of kind of, um, it's quite romantic in a way, in, in a kind of great way. Um, yeah. And then and then you've got this kind of breakdown. You can you feel this psychological breakdown into isolation and then you being on your own and the kind of... Yeah, and then he's and I and then I, I yeah and then in the first picture also I it's a little out of focus. Uh, yes. So you don't really see sharp detail. I didn't want it to be about the skin, you know. Yeah, it was meant to be a little more sort of love and spiritual like that. So you no, know, love and light is how he would sign himself off to me in oh, all really? his messages. A lot of it happened through messaging because I was not in India. So, mm -hmm. uh, so. Then I, so then I spent the next year, he did come back and he was running his meditation center. And the only way to see him was to go and meditate every Sunday. So I did that oh, for really? a whole year. No <laughs> so way. I was, <laughs> I was quite 
do a hang up about Super him. chill. Uh, right. right. <laughs> you were dedicated to the cause. Everyone I knew thought I was completely insane and that you know, he'd obviously moved yeah. on in some way. But he told me he, he needed to love everybody. It couldn't just be me. Some oh such God. thing. We've all heard so, that one. We've all heard that one. Yeah. Did he? Yeah. Do you feel uh, like there's a certain uh, a heartbreak now that when you look at them photographs, it's quite a painful thing? Or did you find it cathartic and therapeutic when you make these bodies of works that come out of uh, an emotional place? No, I find making the, the work is very cathartic and it kind mm. of... Uh, it gets you out uh, of whatever you're in. And I feel very fortunate that if anything happens to me, I, I just turn to making some kind of work about it. And I have a way of expressing something. So uh, uh, I'm one of those people, people have to tell me to shut up because I kind of try to tell them too much about everything. So that's what I put it into the pictures. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> So basically that series then became just me alone in the world after that. So the number yeah. three, four, five is me going to various faraway places, Mexico and uh, I don't know, Helsinki. And, um, but the very last one is where I met the next guy, but he didn't want to be in the pictures. So all you have is his knickers. It's the morning after. Oh, on, on the, the bed. bed. On yeah, the yeah, bed, yeah. yeah. And then so, you looking out to sea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So where, where, where you, was that? Are you still with him? Was yeah, are you still with this guy? Yes, and you met him and you posed with him because I managed to bring him back with me from India. I didn't come back empty-handed. The, uh, the Freeze Art Fair, right? That was like a that's, couple that's of years right. back. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, good. Well, congratulations. I'm happy. I'm happy you've got love, Sunil. I was worried about you. <laughs> And that, and yeah. that was in, 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 in Goa where you met? That was in Goa, yeah. That was our little oh, kind sweet. of honeymoon, actually. Oh. Awesome. No, we, we met in Delhi. Well, we met at an HIV place. Some HIV oh, conference. What? That's where we met. Oh, okay. oh, right. Well, that's good. So, well, let, well let's talk about um, you growing up. You, you just mentioned HIV. That's become... Uh, a massive theme for your work. Um, you were diagnosed in the '90s, and there was a. You were saying about catharsis through making your work. There was a. There was an incredible energy that you were able to draw from this fearful um, announcement that you'd received. Into channel that into your work. Yes, although. I kind of stayed away from it at first for a couple of years. Uh, mm -hmm. What I did do was on the day I was diagnosed, I took a picture and I used that picture late in a body of work a bit later on. Uh, I took a kind of selfie on that day. Uh, mm -hmm. So, well, I'm one of these people who knew, who knew a lot about HIV in the sense that I'd done a, an art project with it at the, in the early 90s called Ecstatic Antibodies, which was a very British look at HIV uh, mm -hmm. through art. It was an exhibition and a book. And uh, I managed to get it after. So I'm a living example of knowing everything doesn't necessarily help you. <laughs> so right. Right. that wasn't... Right, right, right. But I'm being flippant. When they, when they also... Uh, the thing is, I met this guy uh, very casually, you know, outside the toilet of the market tavern, as we used to do back in the day. 
and uh, I didn't realize. This is in London that, Market Tavern, right? Yeah, yeah, Vauxhall. Yeah. yeah. I was two in the morning. I didn't have much time to cross-examine him. It was like, are we going to get it on or not kind of thing. And I only discovered later on that uh, uh, he was very new to gay sex. So I was like, he could count the people on one hand kind of thing. Mm. And I, I'm like an old pro by comparison, you know. I, <laughs> I mean, you're, you're, I a stud, was, you're a stud, you're a stud, Sunil. I started at age six or something. I can't remember when I started. Uh-huh. I can't remember a time when it wasn't happening. Uh, so mm. we, we were, and so he thought my attitude to the HIV was very cavalier, in the sense that I wasn't having a test. Uh, I used to think. There's no cure. I don't think I want to know. So I never had a test. So he said he he wouldn't see me anymore if I didn't have a test. And I thought he was was just very hunky, and I didn't want to see him again. Uh, He's a rare person I met who spent every day in the gym, you know, looking uh, not muscly, but just kind of lean. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, And so... uh, Anyway, I went off rather casually to have a test down at St. Thomas's, and uh, lo and behold, the result was positive. And uh, the person who informed me uh, wasn't very good at uh, in his role. I realized he was a young kid, and he hadn't had enough training. I had a feeling he needed to say more than he did. He just said, you're positive, and sat down. And so, oh, wow. Oh, my God. <laughs> so and I thought, kind of uh, yeah, I, you know, I'd been done so much research on it. I thought, I'm sure there's more to it than this. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. Well, you've been an activist diff- for it for many years before your own diagnosis. Yeah. And, and your activism yeah. was part, and you wrote about it, and it was part of your work, uh, the activism <sighs> for it, wasn't it? Yeah, and I thought there was a kind of protocol for health workers to to reassure you a bit more than that. Yeah. Mm. He just left me with this feeling that I was going to die the very next day and pretty much uh, had nothing further to say. Uh, so I did think I was going to die the next day and thought, you know, that blood... Because I also was living with someone, kind of, at that time, just about. Uh, so I was anxious about him. And all kinds of things, you know, when you that come up in your mind and uh, dealing with your family and friends. And my parents were still alive. And, uh, and, you know, it was 95. So I was in my, I was 42. Mm -hmm. I was right at the height of some kind of career thing. I was, you know, I was relatively successful. I was, uh, and it kind of just stopped everything in its tracks uh, for a while. Uh, Do you know what I find fascinating about your your first reaction to it as a creative, as an artist, is that you took uh, an image of yourself at your lowest, kind of most fearful moment when you'd been diagnosed, but you still had the wherewithal as an artist to document that moment and I, I recognize that in myself when tragedy happens in life as an actor I there's a, there's a tiny part of my brain that retains the emotion to draw on at some point mm. yeah do you find that like a, a fascinating quality to that 
Yeah, it's a way of kind of, uh, I find the mechanics of the process, you know, getting the film out, setting up the tripod, it, it kind of helps you focus, you know, uh, you go through these yeah. steps to, to make it happen and you process yeah. the film and it, uh, and then I find, well, with photography and me, it's, uh, I kind of make myself the image and then it's not me, it's the image. And then things can happen to that. That can have the HIV in a way. It kind of creates a kind of a way for me to carry on, you know, the real me. Like a distance. That, slightly distance, yeah. And there's, yeah. it's like an avatar and stuff's happening to that. So interesting. Uh, no, I was just going to say that I was anxious not to add it to my already, I thought, overflowing baggage of being gay and being uh, of Indian origin, uh, I thought if I added HIV to it, I'd have no one left to speak to. So, right. you know, my subject would be like so narrow. Yeah. And. Uh, but how old are you now, Sunil? Uh, six, about to be 67. Congratulations. So you've lived over 20 years with yeah, HIV. I just had, you are a, a, a... it was my 25th anniversary just yesterday or the day before of the diagnosis. Mm. Wow. And I mean, I'm, sh I'm sure at the time you were diagnosed when this guy just said to you so coldly that you, you were positive, you didn't yeah. expect to have got to where you are now. That's such an incredible, um, that must be an amazing feeling. Uh, no, no, yes, it is. It's very amazing. Uh, I was helped a lot by St. Thomas's, and the next person that I met after this guy was much more savvy. And uh, uh, yeah, and the first consultant I had was great. He said, There's way too much money. The drugs were on their way, and there was too much money to be made. They never stopped making the drugs, so mm. you probably won't die of it. And he was kind of. Uh, right. The only thing is that you have to manage the, the side effects, as, as we all know, you know, so which vary mm. from. Wow. Person to person. Because, yeah. because now, now there's um, medication, which means you can become undetectable, doesn't it? So you have like a viral load that is, has to be managed. That's true. But, but then you end yeah. up being able to, I, I read your very eloquent writing about it, actually which um, I really recommend people check out because you've got this incredible website where you write in detail about many different parts of your work. But I read a really touching kind mm. of reflection on, on this experience. Uh, yeah, I made a little exhibition called Love Undetectable, which I borrowed the title from. I borrow my titles from other people's movies and books. Uh, ah. I'm a plagiarizer <laughs> of titles. Mm -hmm. uh, it's Andrew Sullivan's book that right-wing British writer in New York. He wrote a book once right. called Love Undetectable. Uh, uh, I thought it was a nice, nice idea that love could be like that. You know, mm, just... Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. But... Uh, sort of thing, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I must say, I've, I was in a kind of... After the first few years of figuring out how to live with it, uh, I then realized that I was in a kind of comfort zone in a South London bubble. So between that hospital and the gay scene, which was very thriving between Brixton and Vauxhall, 
and uh, people were quite cool about it. You created a whole narrative work in 1999 called From Here to Eternity, again, another title we just discovered that you've stolen, uh, yeah. which was documenting the journey you took which was about around your the, the medical journey basically to get your medication and and the stops you saw on the way there was an, a documentation of that yeah i uh so there was a period uh, you see when i had the test i wasn't really sick i you know i had no symptoms i had no sign that i had the virus and uh, a couple of years later i did manage to get uh quite ill and then I thought well uh, the work could be therapeutic uh, and I had by then started making a move towards digital mm. photography mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. which is actually uh, physically very uh, kind of demanding and uh, makes you feel very unwell because you're basically sitting in your chair for yes. hours and on end in front of a screen <laughs> in front of a screen you get up feeling really exhausted and not well unlike analog photography when you're in a dark room standing up and dealing with chemicals uh and the whole kind of magic if you like a better word of images appearing you know yeah. uh, on paper so i went aura, back to the dark room yeah, it felt more healing. So I decided to, A, make something about the HIV finally and then use an analog way of doing it. And uh, so I just observed from my little cozy corner in South London that uh, something had changed. HIV had changed something. Mm -hmm. It had uh, a lot of my local hangouts and pubs and clubs that were, all began to turn into sex clubs and nobody said anything and i was quite taken by this considering you know i first came to london in 1978 i think yeah from new york from christopher street and in london mm -hmm. i was taken to a bar called the salisbury in the west end which looked mm -hmm. like oscar wilde or something and if you touched anybody's hand they'd throw you out oh, wow. so and the place shut at 10.30. You know, it was like so of another era. Mm -hmm. and quite I quite thought kind that's... of um, strict and formal or something. And sterile. Yeah, or... Lon London was really like hands off. Nobody spoke to you, you know. If you said mm -hmm. hi to someone, they, you know, like it was like, God, you'd really broken some rule about something. It was so unlike right. New York, I can't tell you. It was so uh, difficult and, and antisocial. That's so interesting because the series of photos that you took in New York have the complete opposite, yeah. don't they? It, the Christopher Street works that you did in the seventies yeah. are like so polar opposite to that. You can just see it in the images, like the kind of very public pride, parading, gay of, pride, yeah, yeah. pride, yeah, and, and activism, yeah. And all of that stuff. There's and also yeah, the way that display, people were dressing yeah. and the moustaches and all that kind of thing. The clones, yeah, people yeah. were out, out and proud and you know promenading. In, exactly on yeah. their street and yeah. in full view and uh, uh, yeah it was kind of after Stonewall and before AIDS it was a, quite the moment and there were way too many guys even too many men not enough time kind of thing so yeah, I thought it was quicker so to just men, to shoot so many men so little time I love that song <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so many men so little time yeah. that was around that exactly. period wasn't it yeah yeah and it's raining men and all that 
So it was much, it was Magic. quicker to shoot them with a camera. Uh -huh. So that's the other, I was just shooting everybody I quite liked who I, who I couldn't have sex with, it was not enough time. So I wasn't doing uh -huh. a study or anything. It wasn't like an anthropological study of everybody. It was just people I fancied. So right. that was it fun. Was like, it was, was like fun receiving, to do. receiving dick pics on Grinder. It was like your equivalent of the day. Yeah. And in New York, you could walk up to people and take that picture. They didn't seem to mind. So when I came here, I tried that. It didn't work at all. People didn't want to have their picture taken. People didn't. Uh, yeah, it wasn't possible here. And so... Anyway, so so that's what I mean. So that when these sex clubs started happening, I thought, my, this place has come a long way. You know, right. suddenly you go to the this pub in uh, I don't know uh, down here somewhere, somewhere off a council estate, and you drop your clothes at the front door. You know, so in front, in full view of everybody, that was quite a dramatic change. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, it's the polar yeah. opposite, I guess. So this series yeah, but of nobody work, wrote anything. Yeah. <laughs> so this series of work is is like again, you have two images, often one of yourself, and then you have yeah. the kind of front door of the sex club, um, yeah, as a kind of contrasting like juxtaposition. Yeah, mm. and they're all taken in the day, and mm. they're all shut, and so there's an ambiguity yeah. about whether. HIV positive people like me are shot, shut in or out. It's not really mm -hmm. clear, you know, because, uh, you know, it is, it's unclear whether they're the source of it or if, or if they're trying to keep them, keep you out of it. Uh, right. uh, something like that. Uh, that was the plan. What I enjoyed was that a lot of people who frequented those places didn't recognize them because they'd never been there in the day. So oh, in the never, right. They didn't know. Oh. Yeah, they didn't know what it looked really looked like. Right. Where's that? Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah. I really love the image at the end of the series, which has um, one of the clubs. I think it's like a garden or something. I can't remember what the title of it is. It's in Cam Camden, maybe, but um, or Camberwell. But it's got a big kind of billboard next to it that says, "If God exists, why doesn't He help you?" And it's this amazing like photograph, you know, next to a sex club. This kind of advertisement. Was, was oh, that yeah. Something that you, that. yeah. No, that's what I love about street photography. Uh, mm -hmm. You find things like that by chance. Right. Uh, you know, uh, I could have made that up in Photoshop, but I'd never have thought of something like that. It was just right. there. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that was a, uh, was that fish? That was a very well-known, yeah, place. Okay. Um, hoist, hoist or fist? One of them ones was it? Yeah, no, I don't know. I it think says, it was fist. I think it says something garden on it. No, imperial, it's. Imperial I think garden. it's fist. Oh, okay. Fist oh yeah, imperial garden. garden. Imperial garden might have been the name of the club. You know how the oh, how they had different okay, nights. Okay, okay. They would have different um, nights. Yeah, so uh, fist right, kind right, of right. took place. It was under a railway arch. I think it was Camberwell somewhere. Under yeah, one no, of you're these right, you're right. Arches. It's Camberwell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also love the idea yeah, that yeah. those billboards, you know, constantly changed. So by you capturing that exact moment, it is so genius because you would, I think many people wouldn't have even thought about those two things. And I love the 0171 number. I miss all those old phone numbers. It reminds me of the 80s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why, uh, Sunil, why do, you, why do you think you started um, taking Photographs. What made you begin doing photography? I think because I wanted to make movies and I couldn't. I was never anywhere where I could. 
So I grew up in Delhi uh, at a time really like just when TV just about arrived. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, all I did uh, as a teenager was go to the movies. That was our only entertainment. Big, colorful mm-hmm. Bollywood blockbusters with song and mm-hmm. dance in them. And I think I carried that in my head throughout, you know, like the narratives and the color and the and slightly OTT. But then I was never anywhere where you could do it. So uh, in Canada, I was able to, uh, that continued the watching of films, you know, as in, in my college years. And I found a buddy and we would see everything. All the art movies were shown in our school and we decided to, buy a still camera and an enlarger and may do it with stills. So he was the writer. He would write poetry and text and I would take pictures. Mm-hmm. And we were in Montreal and every weekend we hung out in the local gay bars. And there weren't many. Montreal is a tiny place, about two million people or less. Mm-hmm. So every weekend we see the same guys and we kind of knew them all by sight. And to make it interesting, we invented characters and gave them names and we gave them a whole other life uh, backstory and we discuss everybody in the bar in you know in their f- in their fictional way mm-hmm. and now and then we persuade one or two of them to come and model for my camera and then i made some yeah. we made some little sequences of stills with the with writing underneath uh just wow. sort of uh that's kind of how it got going on one at one level. And the other thing was that uh, I joined my student uh, gay activist group in 1971 or something. And uh, we started a magazine or like a newsletter thing, very low tech, but it needed pictures. And I volunteered to take the pictures. Oh. So I took news pictures of demonstrations and, you know, news like the local a bathhouse was burnt down with people in it. That was big news. Or I would just document well, locals. Yeah, because all the gay bars and bathhouses were all owned by the mafia back in those oh, wow. days. Well, certainly in North America they were. And oh, so there was God. constantly various insurance scams and stuff happening and owners having their throats cut. Didn't bother us. They weren't after you, but it was just unfortunate that they were the place was occupied when the fire happened. But it's a place that I had worked. I I had my first job was working there. So uh, what did that that involve? Like cleaning up all the mess or the yeah, no, I, I would go in after I had to clean it up and replace the KY and the towel or whatever. And and also, (laughs) also I had to make sure there were only two people because in Canada, it was only legal for two guys to have sex, not more than two. There was two people oh, wow. in, in the privacy. So there had to be only two and the door had to be closed. You certainly couldn't have your door open and you couldn't be three people with your door open. So I'd have to police that. So that was kind of weird, but it was, but I was only 19, ha- mind you. So it was, Oh yeah. my God. <laughs> what, what, what actually took you to Canada? Did, did, were you studying art there or was it business? Cause I heard you talk no, about leaving India. No, I was India. studying accounting. Accounting. I was starting right, business. Yeah. Okay. yeah, I was a middle class Indian male. My parents said, We have three choices medicine, engineering, or business. Take your pick. Right. So I took business, was the fastest way out of home. 
So, right, right, right. Um, I, I, I was always struck by your braveness. I feel like you have this kind of inbuilt kind of brave adventurer within you or something and your curiosity for the world outside, you know, of, of, of what you were presented as a child, the way you, you kind of could see a way out for yourself. Was that something that you felt or was it quite a nerve wracking thing to do to move country? No, I was very excited to move country. Uh, uh, I was 15 and uh, I was going to miss my secondary school exams, which like, you know, like O levels or A levels. I was very, mm -hmm. I was very thrilled to miss those. Uh, everybody else had to SWAT and I was going to leave. And uh, my only information about North America was through movies. You know, oh. there was hardly anybody, you know, nobody talks about Canada anywhere in the world, not even here. So mm. I had no idea what Canada was like, uh, uh, except I was a bit sorry that my Indian sex life would be over because mm. nobody told me that they did that kind of thing. Well, I didn't know white people did it too, you see. I thought only we did it in India. Oh. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. And it was so, an, no, illegally, yeah. And so I got to Canada, and you know, I really there was no. I mean, how do you find out there's gay people? You know, yeah. uh, so nobody said anything. It wasn't visible in any way, uh, except my high school was in education. I spent a year of high school there, which was a real education. So I was an outsider. I didn't have a group. It was very ethnically divided. The high yeah. school. Uh, there were no other, they never heard of India. So India was meaningless. It was completely useless baggage to have come from India. And so uh, I found one other guy who was also an outsider who was American. So there were no Americans either. And he was all blonde and blue eyed and Midwestern. And he and I got together because nobody else wanted us. And uh, he decided I was red skinned. You know, he thought I was that kind of Indian. So he could, he could deal with me that way. Oh, but he was uh, oh, like a Cherokee, Cherokee Indian. Right. Yeah, that kind. Redskin. So him and me, him and I used to hang out. And then, but he was a uh, tough working class kid. So he knew about homosexuals. So he would tell me. And it was his sport. Our after school sport was to walk around the town and see which, which guy might follow us. And because we were like, I don't know, 16. And sure enough, somebody would follow us. Then he would say, let's see if he wants the dark one or the blonde one. And we would split up and go different ways to see who, who gets followed. That was our kind of game. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, he wasn't That's gay a, himself. It's a great game. Right. Yeah. But it was a kind of one of those funny teenage homosocial things. Yeah. yeah. And of course, then being Canada in high school, you had to date girls. It was kind of intense peer pressure. We both take a girl out and then the girls always had to go home early. And then after the two of us were back on the streets, you know, awesome. playing those kind of games. So yeah, yeah. that was my kind of introduction. Uh, but there when I heard about it, yeah. No, sorry, go on. No, so I'm, I was going to say that just, uh, the gay thing gave me an identity in Canada that uh, uh, made me belong in a way. Right. So the next year I went to college and on the very first day I was kind of brought out by this very kind of young uh, flamboyant queen. He said, oh, hello, darling. And he and I became great friends and uh, I, was, I was gay the very next day and uh, <laughs> we were very popular suddenly. 
and wow. like we just forget about India and just be gay. So I think, mm. you know, my journey of migration wasn't really about leaving something behind. It was about finding something at the other end, which which kind of never really happened where I was. I would never have come encountered that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think if I'd stayed in India, I'd probably be one of those, my generation all got married. I would no choice. I would have been a, in business with a wife and kids and doing stuff on the side, basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It would have been tragic. And I was going to say that um, l- later on, you actually went back to um, shoot in India and you, you created this incredible series, which I love, called Exiles. And um, I think it was like 86, wasn't it? Like kind of mid 80s. And yeah. you, you, you were kind of returning home in a way to sort of um, analyze and, and interpret what was going on there in the gay community. That's right. I was very curious to see as an adult what mm. was happening there. Uh, I'd become very active and involved uh, at this end. And I was wondering what's, there was no news from there. You see, total silence. Yeah. Uh, and I did five years of art history here. No news in that either of hardly anything gay and certainly nothing from India. Uh, mm. So I went to have a look. Uh, this, Actually, this opportunity came up from this gallery to do a project, so I based it like that. And uh, yeah, I went to do. I had to research it because I didn't know myself what was happening, uh, mm. and I've, I hadn't been back in between very much. You see, so I'd lost my uh, gaydar about Delhi. Mm-hmm. You know, because but it was I it realized, was illegal at this stage in India, right? Homosexuality, yeah, was it was illegal, yeah. Yeah, it's, it was illegal since 1860. It hadn't been illegal before, but the Victorians put it in 1860. It's when they created the notorious uh, anti-sodomy laws everywhere, mm-hmm. uh, uh, all, all over the colonies. It's all the same wording. Uh, and it's, it stayed on the books when they left, like many repressive laws that the people, when they regained control of their countries, decided to leave several colonial oppressive laws in place because it suited them. And so Mm. this one was very much in place. Uh, It criminalized sodomy. Uh, Basically, there were hardly any actual cases, you know, but it just gave it, A, a very unsavory feeling because it was criminal, and Mm. B, set you up for blackmail. Uh, So people were being blackmailed. And... uh, uh, and this didn't change until very recently. So India had this strange history recently where in 2009, it was overturned finally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then appealed by the right, the religious right. So in 2013, yeah, it was reversed. So everybody who had come out in that period suddenly found themselves exposed because it became wow. criminal again. And it stayed that way till 2018, when it was again, when that was reversed, and it went back to being decriminalized, so to speak. So so scary. It's so crazy. Yeah, you know, it's made me aware that uh, we live governed by laws that are made by people. You know, like, if the parliament decided to do something, they can. I mean, uh, yeah. The current lot, they've got such a huge majority. Whatever they wanted to do, they could just do. They could make it illegal if they wanted to. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. 
and there's nothing natural about it being legal. It's fought for, and you have to fight to keep it that way. And if you mm -hmm. think, you know, in Britain, it's taken them, us here, uh, from Wolfenden till now to get marriage and to get, you know, proper anti-discrimination legislation going. Yeah. So the good Equality. thing in places like, yeah, so in India, because it's 2020 or whatever, 2018, the language of the Indian judgments trying to catch up. So it talks about equal citizens who have rights. So that was quite good. Yeah, it's really good. Because uh, India is a republic like the US and, and it's got a constitution and people are citizens and you talk about citizens who have rights. So that's a different kind of language compared to here. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I, I was really struck in the Exile series, like how contrasting the kind of energy is in each image if you compare it to the ones in New York. Like there's this kind of sort of more because it wasn't legal you know often you don't see the face necessarily of the person that you're taking the photograph of even though they are consensual pictures because you asked to work with these uh real yeah. kind of gay people but it's just yeah. such a different body of work isn't it and it's so fascinating when you it see is. them side by side yeah there were two things happened between the two sets of pictures one is that in india nobody wanted to be photographed unlike yeah. New York and secondly I had been through this huge photography education and I'd landed I'd emerged in the mid 80s into a very postmodern kind of post-colonial world and also the whole practice of photojournalism was called into question just the ethics of it you know because mm -hmm. when I first went there you know and I was trying to be a photojournalist you know before that uh I realized you can hide in a bush in the cruising ground and jump out at the opportune moment and take a snap while they're at it. I mean, it's, you, one could have done that, but then that would have been really yeah. unfair, you know, because yeah, yeah, they yeah. want to be in a picture. They don't want to be like snap like that. And yeah, it's almost, it's almost all predatory, of, isn't it? It's like a kind yeah, of but, you know, but quite, that's quite a how, violent act in a way. I think, I think people taking pictures can actually feel like that anyway. Like there's well, it's a paparazzi, intrusiveness. It? It like kind of, it's yeah, intrusive, exactly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it happens a lot in the developing world. People go there and take pictures of all kinds of things. However, mm -hmm. so then I thought, to be ethical, I'm going to have a cast get their permission before. I, and, and I needed a cast because they were also my informants. 
I didn't know what where it was all happening. So the key things were that I did want the real of the documentary in the sense that I wanted to have real gay men in the pictures. So at least we, my main point was that we want to see what they look like in India. This is what mm-hmm. the gay men look like, you know, so mm-hmm. that part wasn't Which fake. Which pro- sort of uh, prove the existence of them, isn't it, I guess? Yeah, just kind show, of, like, yeah, evidence. evidence. But also you mentioned that thing about art history and, and how, in a way, this kind of work you were making was missing. You know, yeah. I've always seen you as a kind of pioneer in that sense because because mm. you were making work that was missing from the canon, in a sense, you know, and this idea of representation and visibility and being seen for yeah, future totally. generations as well. It's like a gift, really, for, for artists now. You wanted yeah. to see yourself in art history, yeah. Yeah, I wanted that exactly. And it's a kind of... Because then that could be a starting point for somebody else to do something else entirely new with it, uh, but in the first instance, yeah, the people were real, the place was real. The only thing constructed was the the actual photograph and uh, and the text I had recorded. So the text was kind of real. Yeah, because uh, each research. image has a text underneath it, doesn't it? Like a short yeah, which kind I, of which I gathered, Which I gathered separately. I did kind of research in these cruising places. I would go cruising with a tape recorder and try to record people instead of having sex. And I didn't always get a good reaction, I must say. Some people were really irritated mm-hmm. by the idea. They'd yeah, come to get be. laid, not to talk to a tape recorder. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. And you were like, so, so tell me what you think. Yeah. And they were like, what are, yeah. you doing? what are you up to? Right, What exactly are you doing right now? What is this? My, yes. my favorite yeah. um, piece of text was the one that's called The Party. And it says, we oh, tried yeah. to organize a group, but it turned into a social event and eventually broke up because of petty jealousies. And I thought that was yeah. just so exquisite, actually, as, as, a, as a sentence. Like, I, I love that one. This is the yeah, text that's been... going with the photographs in Exiles, isn't it? When you, you exactly, have the yes. juxtaposition. Yeah, and it's contrasting yeah. directly with the photo. And it's, the photo, you don't actually see the faces of the individuals. You just see their beautiful suits and kind of, you know, the way that they've presented the themselves. The locations. A, a casual yeah. cigarette in, in one of their hands. It's a really gorgeous work. I would love to live with that work. It's a fantastic one. It's, uh, yeah, because you see, there weren't any commercial places. So there were no bars or pubs or clubs or anything. So you could only meet in either cruising grounds or privately in somebody's home. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But no, they had several, they'd had many attempts at starting some kind of group, a social group or mini activist group, but yeah, very hard to sustain. <laughs> this was very stratified by everything. Yeah. And what was this idea of the word exiles? Because I heard it had like a double meaning almost. Yeah, I felt uh, uh, there were two choices. You could either, if you were an Indian gay male at that point, you could either stay at home and be have some kind of internal exile because you're not allowed to mention that you're gay. It was unspoken, mm-hmm. and uh, or you would, or you left the country. You know, people like me who lived in the West, and I felt. I couldn't live in India because it was just too repressive. I mean, I was way too out and proud to go and live for too long in a place where I couldn't mention it. I did go for several months at a time to do research. And aside from these guys, the rest of the time you had to keep shut. Nobody wanted you to talk about it. Not on the left and not on the right, I'm afraid. You know, Even on the left, they were too busy fighting social injustice and all that extreme poverty in India. And they said, 
Yes. You know, why are you going on about sex? You know, we got we got to feed people and house them and all this business. So nobody wanted to know about sex. Uh, right. So. Did you have a Did I you have a show shut down in India in in 2012? I did. That was my That was the last straw that I had to leave. <laughs> yeah. So what was what happened there? What was the What was this show? What was the body of work, and why did it get shut down? It was called Sun City, and it was uh, another little commission from the Pompidou Center. This time, they were doing a a big show called Paris, Delhi, Bombay. You know, they do these city-based shows. And so uh, uh, they asked me, uh, they were doing a studio visit, and they said, what if we brought you to Paris for a month and you were going to make something? What would you make? I had to think of something on my feet. I would bring the two ideas together, you know, India, Paris, something. And Mm -hmm. uh, all I could think of was that the previous time I'd been in Paris to something called Paris Photo, uh, uh, and to escape from all that photo fair business, I'd gone to this sauna called Sun City, which is actually quite near the Pompidou Center. So I don't know if you've been there, mm-hmm. but it's completely decorated in Indian kitsch. I think the owner oh, wow. is some kind of endophile, so it's full of Indian arts and crafts kitsch. No way. Uh, 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 and it's quite amazing, actually, uh, the level of it. And there's Indian gods everywhere. And the top floor, which is the heavy-duty sex floor, uh, had a amazing cross between Indian miniatures, Mughal miniatures, paintings, and Tom of Finland. So there were these <laughs> giant, colorful, uh, pseudo-Mughal miniatures having full-on sex with huge Jigs like Tom of Finland. So it was, uh, but I knew I couldn't shoot those. They never allowed me to show them in India. So I suggested this story based on In Sun City and the plot I took from La Jete, that film by Chris Marker, which all of us have seen in art school. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it. was made in 62. No, what is it called again? Say it again. It's called called? La La Jete, like the jetty. It's made by an American guy called Chris Marker, lived in Paris. It's entirely Uh made up of stills. It's not animation, it's actual still photographs. And it's got an apocalyptic story. So this guy starts, the the jetty is Orly Airport. It's it's an aerodrome jetty, not a ship jetty. So he's he's walking along the jetty. He's arriving in Paris and... uh, he passes somebody who's having a heart attack or something who's, who dies. And then it turns out eventually that uh, that figure was himself. It's a time-traveling movie. And it's Ooh. post-apocalyptic. So Paris has been nuked. The survivors live underground. And this guy volunteers to go time-traveling to see what's going to happen to them in the future. But they can't control it. So he goes back and forth all the time, d- different times. And he meets a woman uh-huh. on his time travels and he falls in love with her and he keeps trying to get back to her. So I made my story, this project Sun City, as the stills for a movie where there's no movie because nobody made a movie, but I made the stills for it. And in my movie, they, the protagonist uh, is an Indian immigrant. That was my Indian connection. So uh, he arrives at Orly. So I was able to get access to the very same jetty, actually. Uh, 
and he lives basically in this uh, my underground was sun city was a bathhouse uh and that suits him because he doesn't speak the language and it's just like body language so in the pictures he gets they get more and more physically intimate the pictures he's able to do more and more things it goes from touching to full on you know kind of sex yeah. uh yeah and there's one in which he's in a sling anyway so uh Lovely. and then he he makes his ex- then in there are these daylight pictures where he's having an affair a bourgeois kind of you know normal kind of colorful nice apartment love affair with somebody oh yeah we only meet holding hands no uh, they walk in the park they hold hands they go shopping yeah, yeah, yeah. they try on clothes they go to the museum <laughs> they do all those sort of normal daytime things and uh he sees his death on the tv screen you know on the where they show the porn in bathhouses so this this one has them as well so i made them switch the porn to la jete the movie and so mm-hmm. we saw the original film still in my picture it was kind of a in thing anyway so that's how my story started <laughs> he's seeing himself die on a movie screen kind of thing uh right, right, but anyway so but my, then you showed this work in india yeah i did and you know i shot it for india so i was very careful we don't see anything to literally there are no genitals on display mm-hmm. i don't even think there's pubic hair on display uh wow. there's a lot so of looking at each other limitations yeah Yeah, I don't think genitals work in India. They don't they even don't like uh women's breasts in a photo. You can have it in a painting. Right. I think but with photography it's like no, no, that's like too much. It's too close to porn, I think or something. It sounds like Instagram because they they've got the whole free the nipple thing, haven't they? Something, yeah. And you can't have genitals for sure. No, no. So yeah. it was about looking and and of course it's about homosex. Uh people are up close uh like that and it was great fun to do i uh, i posed everybody in the bathhouse based on my informal study of the history of gay photography it's a course that they never teach you in school but i made oh, one wow. up for myself no so way. the poses go back to george platt lines uh-huh. and mm-hmm. to baron von gloden in the 19th century who took all those sicilian boys do you remember from the no, 19th century no. what's his name no what's his baron name? von Glo- baron von gloden g l o e d e n okay you okay. speak german and he's... i need to brush up on my gay history i think there you go yeah, i should give it as a gay. course <laughs> <laughs> definitely but anyway there's this there's this kind of art historical posing you know and that's reused and reused mm. over the yes. decades and uh, like that so I thought why invent new ones I'm just going to borrow these so there's a picture of three guys on a blue mattress that's a George uh-huh. Platt lines picture that I've turned around that the two guys who are lying on top of each other and I just added a spectator to it that kind of thing I was just playing having fun with it And why why was the But show shut down Why did they shut it down Yeah Well we had an opening at the and the somebody uh, and we signposted it because it was part of a larger solo show i had three or four other projects so we had kind of curtained it off and it said you have to be over 18 to go in and all that so it was signposted mm-hmm. 
Uh, and the, other, the only thing is that I, what happened was that it was hung, it was finished hanging, and it was open in the afternoon before the big opening. And somebody had been in there who had enough clout, some kind of civil servant or bureaucrat or something, who was really offended uh, or something. And he, he shot it all on his phone and he went to the local police station and lodged a complaint uh, that they acted on. So in the middle of the opening, the police arrived from the local station, you know, like uniform cops, which is so unusual. It's never happened to me before. Mm -hmm. I've never seen this anywhere, you know. Uh, normally, if all of this happens behind closed doors or letter writing to the gallery, you know, they don't arrive like that. Anyway, they came and they were quite intimidating. They really frightened the gallery director. Uh, they went around this set of pictures and pointed to various ones, all of the ones in the bathhouse saying it was against their culture or rather their Hindu culture, wow. which didn't make any mm -hmm. sense. And unfortunately in India, you know, it's, there's a real class divide also. So uh, policemen are working class guys. Uh, and I didn't have the heart to say like, who are you to tell us about culture? But it was on the tip of my tongue. Mm -hmm. Anyway, right. they, were, they were suddenly deciding what was okay and not okay. Can you imagine you have a cop walks in and decides what's okay in your gallery? Anyway, mm -hmm. but uh, the, uh, at first I thought it was a bit funny and, you know, like partly humorous funny and partly just odd funny. And But since the director wasn't willing to back the show, after they left, with the, and they threatened him, uh, when he took it seriously, he told me, I must remove those pictures immediately uh, from his gallery. So by 10 p.m., I was standing on the street outside with all of my pictures. How's real? And calling. Oh, my God. Trying to call my kind of gay network of friends and legal help to, or get some opinion on this. And mm. the opinion I got was that actually if the police file a complaint in, if, against the pictures, it, the only way they can do it is to actually not, it's not about culture, they're going to have to say it's obscene, because the obscenity laws still exist, right? So if they say it's obscene, then that's a criminal offense. That's quite oh. serious. You can end up in prison. The, they destroy the pictures, you can go to jail, and I'm a foreign citizen, you know, I'm no longer Indian citizen. Mm. Uh, I would just get thrown out. I'd never be able to go back. Uh, the other thing that happened wow. as a result of that, well, we hid the pictures. Nothing like that happened. I didn't go to jail, but, so, but the show never went back up. But what did happen was that uh, what little market I had to try to sell any of this locally in India, uh, you know, all the rich gay male collectors who might have been interested in it are all very timid and mostly not out and mostly married. So getting this kind of press, it, it hit the press because all the artists in Delhi rose up in my defense. Mm. And wow. like it became a bit of a newspaper case. Like freedom of speech. Uh, and... uh, yeah, yeah. Mm. And people really wanted me to, they, they wanted to do things. They wanted me to lead some kind of uh, campaign about censorship and all of that, because you know, we had this right-wing government in place, and they wanted me to be some kind of poster person for some campaign. Yeah. 
and yeah. uh, I thought I thought I don't have the means and the passport for this. Because the other thing they do in India is that uh, to artists they don't like is to start a case in the courts, and then it carries on for years. And basically, you just get bled dry. You just pay lawyers' fees until right, you have no right, more right. money, and it mm -hmm. kills you anyway. So, but basically, I had no more buyers. You know, that was just like hot property in the wrong way. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it all dried up so, overnight. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, talk, so talking about buyers though, it's like you 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 have a, a massive fan base now and a massive collector base. But you're in the best museums in the world. You're owned by the Tate. You're owned by the Tokyo Met Museum. You're owned by MoMA. What does that feel like? And the first time you was acquired by a museum institution, what what was that feeling like for you? It was a little bit ambivalent uh, because in the 80s when I came out of art school here and I was doing activism at the GLC and mm. meeting like-minded people and basically... Can we just say what the GLC this, is? Sorry, what's the GLC? Uh, the GLC was the Greater London Council. It was basically the town hall for the inner London, well, the Greater London area. And uh, it controlled local education and lot of local funding to the arts and to right. uh, cultural institutions. And so, uh, and I left the RCA in 83 and made, mm -hmm. we put up a black student show. The GLC came to see it. They liked me because I had a short ethnic name. I crossed the river to, to the GLC, turned my back to Cork Street, which is what the RCA was trying to prime us for. You know, mm -hmm. we weren't interested in, in the private, in the commercial art world at all. We were interested in, in this kind of community-based, you know, people-building kind of policy-making. So the riots happened and in Brixton, the race riots. I moved there mm -hmm. after and got involved with setting up a black photo collective called Autograph. That was what I was doing. And, you know, and so oh, wow. institutions like the Tate, well, basically, they were like the enemy. Of, uh, so there was Thatcher was in power, and the Tate was the cultural symbol of Thatcherism. You know, Tate oh. comes from slavery. Tate comes from sugarcane. You know, uh, it's Tate and Lyle, isn't it? And uh, mm -hmm. so we knew the yeah. background. And it's not like they were interested in the photography either anyway. So it was mutual. Uh, so the idea was not to be in those collections. So... Also, I you also know, heard I was, a quote where you said it was it was uh, you had a wonderful enemy in Margaret Thatcher, and you missed those days. You quite have quite I nostalgia do. to hating her. <laughs> yeah, she was great. Everybody could hate her properly. She stood for you know it was very clear what she stood for, and you could move against it. And I think the second mm. term of Tony Blair just killed us. You know, just like has made everybody so cynical now. Mm. But you know, when yeah, I yeah. first studied photography in New York at the New School. You know, I dropped out of my silly business degree and did photography briefly. I had Lisette Modell as a teacher. She was fantastic. She's the one who set me on this pathway. She's, uh, oh, she taught Diane Arbus, didn't she? She did. She did. And yes, she is. was a very influential woman that way. Uh, and very enthusiastic. You know, if she didn't like something, she'd say, oh, that shit, go try again. Uh, <laughs> But she, she took I a like fancy her. to me. She took a fancy <laughs> to me. But she used to tell us, you know, uh, darling, when your work is dead and kind of lost its bite or kind of become meaningless, uh, 
it'll end up in the museum. And then she would take us on class trips to the Metropolitan Museum. So we could go and see the dead art. Or rather, we'd go and see all the silly life people looking at the dead art. So <laughs> that's lost all of his cultural reference, you see. It's just like, yeah. uh, there it is. But it's not sitting in any context. So uh -huh. like that. So interesting. So, so it's very exciting to be in the Tate, in a way. And uh, there's some great people there, I realize. They're not all like Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, well, it's evolved uh, quite drastically, though, hasn't it? I mean, yes, since then, yes. Uh, oh, yes, it's, it's, it's whole policy towards photography completely changed, uh, and uh, they've now got these funding circles from different global regions and all of that business. Mm. My only problem, the thing is, I should have stayed in India because having come back here. Uh, you know what's happened is I've I've gone from the very well-funded Asian funding circle, mm. which is full of rich Indian and Chinese, back yeah. into the UK circle, which is broke. <laughs> they have no money, so yeah. <laughs> well, they can't buy anything. I would have been yeah. better off staying in the Asian side these days. Anyway. Well, we're, we're very happy that you're here, though. Yes. We, um, yeah, we need you. Um I have a really funny story. So one of the works that's in the Tate collections is from your series of couples that you took in the 80s, um, in the UK, yeah. actually. And um, yeah. I first saw those in a book um, that was made by Chris Boot, and it was called Pictures From Here. And I think it was out in about 2003 or four. And I was friends with Bruno Sachel, who used to work for Chris a bit. And I remember oh, yeah. seeing that book at his, his flat in East London with my then boyfriend. And we'd been together about six years or so. So it's kind of linked to those photographs because those photographs are, are, are of gay couples in monogamous relationships over, or, you know, roughly, um, but over a period of like 10 years. And you're kind of snapshotting mm. them at the point of, of a decade and what that means in a relationship. And you see these amazing kind of physical interactions and the Tate has a great one. I don't think it's on display at the moment, but um, you can actually book an appointment and go and actually view the photograph if you'd like to see it mm. in real life. But um, mm. can you speak a bit about that series quickly and also that monograph? Because the Chris Boot monograph, I just found so kind of shocking. I was 22, 23 when I, when I first saw that book. And I just remember being blown away by it. It was like this whole other universe that I didn't know yet, you know. And I think that's also quite interesting about photography and how books can be so mm. powerful to your creative process. Okay, I'll talk about the uh, making the pictures first then. Yeah. So uh, I came to London in 78, like I went to India. I followed a guy here. I met a guy in Canada and I followed him to New York <laughs> and then I followed him to, to London. And I met him when I was 20, we were both in university. And then 10 years later, we were in London and I'd finally graduated. And our whole time in London had been slightly fraught because I couldn't get a visa. So I went to I went to art school to get a visa so I could stay with the guy. It all happened backwards. And I have to confess. So so I did an undergrad and they said, you can, you know, the home office would say, okay, you've passed that course, now you can leave. So I said, no, 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 I'm going to do an MA now. I did an MA. So then I passed that. So all of that happened. I finally managed to stay on. And... Uh, and then everything should have been fine, but in fact, everything fell apart because what had happened in the interim is that uh, I think maybe all that pressure had kept it together or something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Could be, but 
also we were kind of middle of the road you know politically uh i came from you know from business school and my dad came from a military background and you know i was even in the military reserves for a while in canada and so but when i came to england uh, and you know i've already described the glc i went kind of completely lefty mm. and uh, i used to come home to my guy and he would come home from his bank he would he was swiss and he worked in a bank and i would say you've caused all of this trouble for everyone <laughs> so it got a bit too personal <laughs> oh wow so you were like so, politically opposed yeah because politically it was a bit hard to sustain also he began to make a whole lot of money you know mm. he worked in the city uh and i didn't have any job you know i'd like if i got to take a picture for women's own for 70 quid right. Right, so right. uh that's how so i started kind of divide you know, in your income in a way yeah it's funny so how no that income. can like impact a relationship and uh, basically we kind of split up i'm kind of accidentally it just happened but it was a shock to me because i didn't think we ever would uh you know i thought it happened to other people i don't know what i thought i thought this would go on forever because i think yeah. it's all i knew as an adult uh and i found myself suddenly with a suitcase in a lesbian almost a squat type place in off holloway road with no heating it was awful but i had and they wanted well, a just, guy just lesbians and you was it yeah but the no heating was really bad i was really spoiled by the swiss <laughs> bank we had heat you know uh -huh, so uh, -huh. uh so anyway it was all like a shock the new thing of uh that, so i thought i'm going to i thought there was something i didn't know actually so I embarked on trying to find as many gay couples as I could uh and use the camera as an excuse to come to their home and spend some time with them and discreetly you know question them about well what keeps it together you know mm -hmm. so because you know remember back in the day there was uh, if you were a couple there was nothing to support you there was no information or any way to you know talk about any issues anyway so that's what i was doing that was my prime motivation was to find some kind of answer as to why i feel i felt like i'd failed somehow you know i thought somehow i'd done something terribly wrong what had i done so wrong that it broke up you know what i mean like something like that mm -hmm. so uh and then i met this network of people in west london uh Actually, I met the next person. I got to live with for the next ten years in West London, and this was his social network. And through that, it grew outwards. So I was passed on from person to person, couple to couple. I mean, mm. uh, <laughs> I never found out. It turned out that there wasn't anything to be found out. There is no, what's the word? There's no answer. So there's no one answer anyway. There was no magic way to do it. Uh, to make it happen uh and then i just shot them all in a very uh simple straightforward way so no not too much fancy lighting and just normal film and lenses and so on and also because of my contact with the glc i was aware that we lacked kind of any images of certain kinds 
Because again, there weren't too many images of uh, gay men circulating. Uh, and then by the mid 80s, by the time AIDS came along, there were in fact very anti images of gay men circulating in the tabloid yeah. media. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's kind of why I was doing them. They, uh, But, you know, they, I found they didn't go down very well with some curators I showed them to. And I think I wasn't, I was becoming aware slowly that there was another background issue that I hadn't taken into account. A lot of the curators were women and I think they found the idea of a room full of men staring at them. They're all making eye contact with you a little bit, not to their taste. Mm. Uh, Although you did, you did photograph a lesbian couple there as well, no? Yeah, there are two lesbian couples. Two lesbian couples, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and no, it's just because I was photographing. I know what you mean, I though, because I guess I guess they are quite. They're, they're very direct images, aren't they? Where they're literally yeah, very into direct. The lens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, they're I, I as a they're gay person, you, found them quite touching, just on the element of like physical kind of intimacy, and also this idea of monogamy and and kind of love between men. You know, because well, often you think about promiscuity and. Particularly, yes. like you're saying later with the '80s um, AIDS crisis and how that was portrayed in the media yes. and vilified, and yes. you know they were kind well, of yeah. changes public's opinion, didn't it? Of everything, yeah. yeah. But there's something so human about those pictures and so intimate and domestic, and yeah. I don't know, that's why I love them. Yeah, they're authentic. I just, I just feel like they weren't talking to feminism directly, something like that. There was some, right, right. had they been half women or something, but you know, I really wasn't trying to do something. Again, anthropological. I'm never doing that. I'm, I'm working with people I knew. Mm. This was the, I lived in West London. These are the people I met. This was this whole gay subculture in Hammersmith and in West Kensington. These are the people who yeah. got hit by AIDS. Yes. Uh, half of them are not here now. Uh, I know. I find that so touching as well, though, because it's like this kind of document, you know, of their love and of their life, and then suddenly they're taken away. It's this... Yeah. So it was yeah. great. It was very good. That the, I'm so pleased that the Tate bought them. Now they've gone into a kind of cultural, whatever, you know, art history. Mm. But mm. I'm happy to mm-hmm. say that they're going to be published in their entirety as a book that's oh, great. Uh, just being printed in Verona. It's going to be out next month uh, with oh, the same fine. people who made, who made Christopher Street. So, yeah, it'll be published, be available from next oh, month. Fantastic. Amazing. Well, you're talking about that coming up. It's an amazing time for you, Sunil. You've got your first major retrospective coming up at the Photographer's Gallery, and then you're embarking also on um, uh, something at the... Where are we going? I'm just going to check. I've got this right. Uh, you got, you're embarking on a 12-month residency. Yes, oh, at yeah. the Imperial College. Yes, yeah. to, uh, the clinic, the St. Mary's Hospital HIV clinic yeah. there. So this, this, what, what, uh, this retrospective is so exciting, and this is... Uh, going to coincide with this talk art. Can we talk a bit about that and how brilliant that is? Yeah, that's really, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, I'm having a moment, let's put it that way, suddenly. There's a lot happening <laughs> yeah. suddenly. There's this book uh-huh. coming out. Uh, there's, a, there's another book coming out with the retrospective that's not going to have the work in it. It's going to have the ephemera. So the, the curator and I decided that nearly all the work is already in the, pictures from here book and the queer book. The, so we don't need another monograph book necessarily. 
Right, right. Uh, mm -hmm. So we're doing this ephemera book, which is all of the background, all the context that I talked about with you guys just now. So it's pictures mm -hmm. of the GLC days. It's it's letters from Joe Spence after the first photo conference. So wow. it's uh, people on trains going to meetings. It's people coming out of nightclubs. You know, it's all the stuff that happened around the making of the picture that made the pictures happen. Mm -hmm. wow. It's all the friendships and the fights and the um, breakups and all of that that happened. Uh, so we're doing a book like that, kind of low res, large format, yeah. something to flip through, uh, slightly Lovely. manifesto, slightly old ticket stubs, you know, old private view cards, uh, anything that uh, we thought was interesting, <laughs> we're just going to put in it. Yeah. So that's and a that's fun thing to do. Because that, that yeah. sounds like book making is a kind of creative, artistic, you know, process and bring something else out in what you're trying to, you know, project to the world or what you are projecting to the world. I think so, because photography is a medium that lends itself to print very easily. Yeah. I made a book in India, which was a... Uh, which was kind of little book work in itself, you know, because remember all pictures from here you were talking about, right? So it's a companion yeah, exactly, to that. exactly, the Chris Boot one, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I made a companion to that. Same size, slightly deeper shade of red, uh, mm -hmm. and about the same number of pages, uh, which is a, called Wish You Were Here. You know, so there was pictures from here, and then there was Wish You Were Here. And Wish You Were Here are mm -hmm. uh, 80 postcards that I'm sending you from different points on my journey, you know, like uh, from oh, wow. childhood till now, with a little snap uh, of something and a little comment underneath. It's meant to be slightly funny, slightly ironical. Again, it's all those gaps in between, a, com a compliment to the other book. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So pictures from here you wanted to know about. So Chris Boot and Autograph uh, kind of co-published it uh it was in a series there were four people they did or three i can't remember maybe just three came out in the end uh there were the artists there was joy gregory ingrid pollard and myself uh i think i was the first one as the pilot mm -hmm. and i'd known chris boot for a very long we go back a long way chris boot who's now director of uh, aperture foundation in new york used to run something called the wandsworth photo co-op back in the 80s when I was trying to set up autograph in Brixton. And it was just curious that he was gay and I was gay and we were kind of a lot of overlapping interests. And I did an age show, he did an age show as well for camera work. Uh, mm -hmm. So yeah, we were, and he's in my pictures. Uh, he's modeled in my pictures along with his boyfriend. Because uh, again, I just use people that I knew uh, like that. So we had the kind of history so it was fun to do that book with him. Uh, yeah, it was uh, his very good idea to make the book the size it is. Uh, I don't. So you know, uh, it's not a very large book. Do you remember? Yeah. It's a kind of yeah, yeah. Uh, it was something to just put into your handbag yeah. uh, and take with you. What <laughs> uh, did into my handbag? You know me very well. <laughs> you yeah. have a big bag. Straight into your purse. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. You've got so many books. I mean, there's a lot on. Am I've looking on Amazon, which is you know, is uh, a good place to look for books. But most of your stuff is out of print. So I hope that you know your retrospective. They, you're going to have all your publications uh, there available for people to purchase. And are you excited about your retrospective, Sunil? Does this feel like a, a big, big thing? Is it daunting? It does. Uh, 
Yeah, I just hope people don't think it's the end. Because uh, I ain't done yet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always think retrospectives so. are like a brilliant time because you can just, um, you know, more people reach your work. Bounce off them. And then in a way, mm. you can then just continue and be even greater. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're like a, well, I, I used to think you needed to be dead for them. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so I hope they're not counting me out now. Because this, no. it no stops way. in 2000. <laughs> it stops with Sun City. Uh, this one. Uh, I am doing something now, little something, because I can't go to the hospital. You know, it's because right. uh, of COVID. We had to put that on hold. Mm. Uh, I can't go to St. Mary's, so uh, I'm doing a you know, so Studio Voltaire also doing this other program, Desperate Living, mm-hmm. or the LGBTQ right. uh, artworks. So uh, I'm making something for them, small, not well, like a short 30 minute online piece again about okay. HIV to COVID kind of thing. And I'm working with uh-huh. uh, Positive East. This said HIV peer group, which I'm amazed still exists. So uh, some people have volunteered from that to give me testimonies about what happened to them. And I'm just going to uh, weave it into some kind of narrative uh, and create some visuals. So that should be ready pretty soon. So they're going to put it online maybe in a month or so. So that That's gives great. me Studio busy, Voltaire. You know? Okay, brilliant. Yeah, that gives me something to do instead of uh, yeah. Awesome. Oh, mate. Well, this you're you're just got so much going on. It's you're gonna your fan base is gonna just uh, double and triple and quadruple, uh, especially after Talkart, of course. But you've got so much yes. there for yeah, people and also to make, see. It's, make it's sure you visit um, Sunil's website because it's so brilliant. It's such a resource in itself. So if you've never heard of his work, please check out his website because it's amazing. Exactly. So, Sunil, we ask every guest that comes on two very important questions. The first one is, if you could do an imaginary art heist, you could uh, safely and uh, nicely steal any artwork in the world, have it for yourself, what would it be and why? Oh, uh, I think it would have to be uh, a little photo series that was made by Dwayne Michaels, uh, yeah. where two men pass each other on the street and then they turn around and look back. Yes. It's about five pictures in a row. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember what its title was exactly. Uh, <coughs> but that has stayed with me for throughout, since the beginning. It was a very early... Uh, Is it After Hours? <laughs> Dwayne Michael's uh, Lady. I think I'm looking at one up. Are they, is I think it, it might be called Chan- Chance Meeting. I think it's called Chance, chance Meeting. Chance Meeting. Yeah, it's yes, Chance Meeting. Chance Meeting, meeting from 1970. Chance Encounter, something like that. Yeah, Chance Encounter. Uh, so everything about it was appealed to me when I first saw it as a teenager. <laughs> and it became a kind of role model for me. The form, the narrative content, the gay content. And to take something from something we all experience, you know, taking a uh, uh, a common factor like that. Uh, I'm yeah. sure we've all looked back at somebody at some point in your life uh, Hell yeah. in a cruising way and to, to make it into a little work of art. I thought that was really nice. Uh, uh, so, yeah, I'd like that. 
I oh, love we that. Will make sure I love that it. Happens. I'm looking at it now. <laughs> no, it's an yes. incredible photo, yeah, a, a photo series. Um, the other question we ask every guest is, what is your favourite colour? Well, it used to be pink, and I'm afraid to say that. <laughs> that sounds like a horrible cliche. <laughs> no. No, we love <laughs> pink. We love pink. Yes. <laughs> Shocking pink. Well, yeah, because actually... It, it came to me in India even before I heard about K-Liberation. Uh, India is very pink. Uh, mm. So, yeah. And my book, therefore, are pink. And uh, so the publisher of the new book has said, listen, it cannot be pink. <laughs> so, <laughs> and the gallery has said, so the gallery, we're going to have many bright colors, not just pink. We can have the pink, oh. as long as I can have some other ones, too. Awesome. Uh, Great. Well, we can't wait so to see that. And that's going to be titled From Here to Eternity at the Photographer's Gallery. Yeah. And that's going to open in the late autumn of 2020. Do we have a date yet with the COVID? Uh, yes, we have. Or? A, a pro, yeah, we have on the 10th of October. That's Great. Going to open. Uh, they're going to, really they're going, they are open. Be there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, they're going to stretch it out for the whole day, I think. Give awesome. people time and all this. The photographer's gallery. Yes, of course. Yes. Well, you're in the Barbican at the moment. They've they've recently opened back up. You're in the uh, the show there, nice. uh, which is called Masculinities. Masculinities, isn't it? That's right. Yes. Yes, which is a group show there at the moment, which you're in, and they've just reopened that, and everyone's getting time slots. But if you get a chance, go and see that. But it's uh it's, it's so exciting to talk to you, Sunil. It's really yeah, thank your, you so your much. Um, you're a legend. Your, we love you. Thank you. Thank yeah, you for your talking dedication. To me. Yeah, your dedication and your comment on on life, and especially as for gay visibility and, and documenting this, is is going to create an amazing legacy. So that's uh, which we're all going to see. Your yeah, I'm hanging in, in there. Keep going. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> no, but I do people really keep telling me. People, you know, people say to me, yeah. "When are you going to grow out of it?" As if it, they think it's something to grow out of. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Never. Never. <laughs> Never. It's lifelong. Yeah. It's lifelong, yeah, it exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, for everybody listening, everybody we're speaking about today on the podcast, please go to Talk Art on Instagram and Talk Art on Twitter and you'll see all the images. And then, Sunil, you're a big Instagram user, aren't you? We've been talking on Instagram. Yeah. It's a big big medium for you. What's your handle on there? Uh, it's Sunil Gupta 7402. Was it? What, so there was another 7,000... 401 Sunil Gupta's on there or yeah something like that it just automatically it, it's made more number. <laughs> yeah. it's the and most you're... common Indian name ever I love that is it and your website Sunil is, is um... yeah yes because there was yeah. in my generation because I think there was a, both a movie star and a ah. cricketer that did it everybody's called well, that will do it yeah sport yeah. and film yeah and your website is um, sunilgupta.net and I really That's recommend right. everyone checking that out because it's a fantastic resource. I just love it. I love your website. I could just lose myself in it. Well, I do lose myself in it. I spent an afternoon today. I loved it. Yeah. So we will be back oh, very soon. Thanks. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And thank you, Sunil, so <laughs> much. You. We love you. Thanks, Sunil. Okay. Bye. Okay, bye. thanks, Russell. Yeah, bye-bye. Bye. 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 You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Tovey. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode, with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.